Come on, you got to help me preach this today. Uh, if you're taking notes today, the title of my message is Walking in Walls. Walking in Walls. And like I mentioned to you, we're talking today about uh, the third part of this Joshua series, talking about taking ground. This series is about us taking the ground that God has given us. And we see that God's people in the Old Testament, there was a ground, there was a promised land that belonged to them, that God said, this is yours, this belongs to you. But they had to take possession of what belonged to them. In the same way that we have received all the promises of God, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus. Everything that God has provided for us is already there. Our inheritance already belongs to us, but most believers never take possession, keyword, of what already belongs to them. Not that it's not yours, but you have to take possession of it. And we do that by our faith. So we got to take some ground. we got to take some ground back, but the enemy will try to take the ground that belongs to you. And most believers allow him to do that to them. So we're talking about taking ground. Today we're going to talk about Jericho. We're talking about um, what God did in Jericho. And if you see... Throughout this whole book, we've already uh, been studying the past couple weeks, is there's a lot of reoccurring themes that happen in Joshua. There's a lot of things that God speaks to him in the first couple chapters, but you see these things happening time after time again. And you see these themes happening over and over again because Joshua is living out the command that he gave him in the first chapter. Now, what did he say in the first chapter? He told Joshua... I'm giving you this land, it belongs to you. I will be with you as I was with Moses. Wherever you set your foot, I will give it to you. He said, don't be discouraged, don't be dismayed, for wherever you go, I'm going with you. He said, be strong and courageous. He also said something else in the first chapter. He said, listen to my instructions and do everything I told you to do, and then you will be successful and prosper in everything you do. Study and meditate on this book or these promises and you will be successful and prosperous in everything you do. So you see those themes happening time and time again. And we're going to go over some of those themes. We're going to see them in in the story of Jericho just like we did last week. Last week we talked about there were several things that happened when they crossed the Jordan River. Uh, First was the first thing they did when they crossed the river is he had to listen for instructions. We talked about that last week. I encourage you to listen to the podcast. Uh, He listened for instructions on what to do before they crossed. He's got to do the same thing in Jericho. Uh, Number two, we talked about they honored the presence of God. We're going to see that in Jericho. They honored the presence of God before they went and took the city. Uh, Number three, they took steps of faith because God is a God of action. And if you really believe it in your heart, it's going to come out in your actions. And he's going to give you steps of faith to take, not just a prayer to believe in your heart. Come on now, somebody. And so we're going to see those themes reoccur in this Jericho, Jericho story. It's not just, uh, uh, just a one-time thing. And so we see this, listen for instructions, honor the presence of God, take steps of faith, and then you're going to be taking the ground that God has given you. Amen? Now realize this is just one of many stories in Joshua. There's 31 different kings he had to fight and to overcome to take the promised land. But each one we see that he gives him specific instructions and he steps out of faith and God, notice, does what he said he would do in the first chapter was, wherever you set your foot, I will give it to you. Come on, are you still here this morning? So that's where we're going to 
talk about today. So let's look over in Joshua 6. Joshua 6 in verse 1. Joshua 6 in verse 1. It says, Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because they, the people were afraid of the Israelites. No one was allowed to go out or go in. Notice that. Now the gates of Jericho were tightly shut up because the people were afraid of the Israelites. Stop. Now, the thing about this is God's people were fooled into thinking that the people in the promised land were greater than they were, were stronger than they were. But in reality, before God's people even went into the promised land, the enemy was already afraid of God's people. Come on now, somebody. Isn't it just like the enemy to get you to think that what you're facing is the thing that you should be afraid of when in reality it's afraid of you because you're God's people? Come on now, somebody. And we see before they went into the promised land, they go and they talk to, to Rahab, and Rahab said, no, we were scared before you guys even got here. You guys don't even have to fight. We'll give you the keys to Jericho. Hey, don't kill us. Because they knew about what God did in Egypt. They knew about what God did in parting the Red Sea. They knew about what God was doing through his people, so they were already afraid of God's people before they even got there. But notice the enemy played tricks with their mind like he does to get them in fear as they were going into the promised land that already belonged to them. And now what he does? He tries to act like we should be afraid when he's the one who's really scared. And he's putting up a diversion so that you don't realize he's the one who's really intimidated here. And he knows he has no right to stay. He has no right to do what he's doing because he's... He knows that you belong to God and you are God's people, so you have a right to take that ground back. Come on now, somebody. So the gates of Jericho were tightly shut because they were afraid, but the Lord said to Joshua, I have given you Jericho, its king, and it's all its strong warriors. You and your fighting men should march around the town once a day for six days. Seven priests will walk ahead of the ark, each carrying a ram's horn. On the seventh day, you will um, march around the town seven times with priests blowing the horns. And when you hear the priests give one long blast of the ram's horn, have all the people shout as loud as they can, and then the walls of the town will collapse, and the people will charge straight into the town. Charge straight into the town. And we see that uh, that's what Joshua did, and we're going to get more into the story in a moment. And what happened, so notice he gave Joshua instructions. Give Joshua instructions on what to do specifically. He said, I want you to go to Jericho, and I want you to march around six days in a row. And on the seventh day, we're going we're gonna to blow the trumpet, and you're going to shout. But for six days, I just want you to walk around. Not saying a word, just walking around. And on the seventh day, we're going to get the priests... We're going to get the Ark of the Covenant because they honored the presence of God. The presence of God was with them the whole time. And they said, we're going to blow the trumpet. And then when we do that, you're going to shout and the walls are going to come down. 
Not because of the, of the loudness of the trumpet and the shout. They weren't that loud to be able to knock down walls. But because God was going to do it. And so, thinking about this, uh, it, it was funny. I was thinking about this earlier in the week. Is You know, the fact is that a lot of believers um, have a misunderstanding of that they're in a battle. Because they don't realize that, yes, God came to bring peace and love and happiness and grace, but not to the enemy, to us. And there is a spiritual adversary and an enemy, and God doesn't love him. And you shouldn't either. And there is a spiritual battle aspect of the Bible and of our lives. There is a spiritual warfare. I think you guys have figured that out by now. Uh, the Christian life is not just uh, just running around in the presence of God and no worries and no cares. And, and you're never facing anything and you have no battles and you have nothing that ever comes against you. That's not the Christian life. He promises victory, but that means that there was a battle. That we have victory. Uh, he says, fight the good fight of faith. Notice he says, fight the good fight of faith, implying there's a battle. We are assured victory, but there's going to be a fight because the enemy wants to stop us from taking ground. He wants to stop us, especially from taking ground that he has taken and we take it back from him. And so there is a fight, there is a battle, and it's a battle that we win, it's a battle that we fight, but there is such thing as spiritual warfare that we win, but nevertheless, we need to be prepared for that. And um, I was thinking about this, and I'll read you a couple quotes. It says, if we leave out the militant side of the Christian faith, then you must abandon the cross, for it was the cross that Jesus won the victory over sin and Satan. Now, when I say militant Christian, I'm not talking about you walking around with signs that says God hates you. When I say militant Christian, I'm not talking about you attacking people on Facebook. That's not what I'm talking about. No, when we're talking about militant Christian, I'm talking about you fight an enemy, but it's not natural. It's supernatural. Because the Bible says our enemy's not flesh, it's spiritual. We don't fight against other people or other things. We fight a spiritual battle. Because that's the real enemy. But nevertheless, we have a spiritual enemy. So realize, when I say militant Christian, I'm not talking about fighting people, but there is a spiritual battle for your life for your family, for your home, for your calling, for your church. There is a spiritual battle because the enemy doesn't want to see the church and believers take ground. So we need to be aware of that. As believers in Joshua was aware of that spiritual battle. Knowing that God would fight for him and God would fight with him, but he had to take steps of faith and take the ground that God had given him. Even though it was promised to him, even though God said this belongs to you 100%, it's already yours. Joshua still had to fight some battles. And notice he won. All 31 kings, God gave him victory. Notice, to receive the promises of God. There's got to be some problems, there's got to be some obstacles between you and the promises of God. So, this is something, something funny I was reading uh, earlier along the lines of spiritual warfare. It says, uh, there was a pastor, and I'm going Joe Osteen on you right here. I'm going to tell a joke. Uh, a pastor attended a court hearing uh, to protest building a tavern near his church in a public school. 
the lawyer for the tavern owner said to him, I'm surprised to see you here today, reverend. With disdain in his tone. (laughs) I'm surprised to see you here, reverend. He said, shouldn't you as a shepherd be taking care of your sheep? The pastor replied, well, that's true, but today I'm fighting the wolf. You know, in the Christian life, it's all good when we're all together as sheep, but there are some wolves that we have to take out every once in a while. Right now, I know you feel very safe, very secure, because there's a lot of sheep in here, but you don't live in here. There's a lot of wolves in this world. And sometimes there's a spiritual battle to handle those things. Now, once again, we have victory, but that doesn't mean there's not going to be a battle or a fight. We fight the good fight of faith. So, uh, let's look back at this story in Joshua. Joshua 6. And we're going to read in verse 15. Joshua 6 and verse 15. It says, On the seventh day the Israelites got up at dawn and marched around the town as they had done before. But by this time they ran around seven times. And the seventh time around, as the priests sounded the long blast of their horns, Joshua commanded, Shout, for the Lord has given you this town. And Jericho and everything in it must be completely destroyed and offered to the Lord. And let's jump down to verse 20. And when when the people heard the sound of the ram's horn, they shouted as loud as they could. Suddenly the walls of Jericho collapsed, and the Israelites charged straight into the town and captured it. They completely destroyed everything in it. Verse 22, Meanwhile, Joshua said to the two two spies, Keep your promise and go to Rahab's house and bring her out along with her family. And let's jump down to verse 27. So the Lord was with Joshua, and his reputation spread throughout the whole land. His reputation spread throughout the whole land. I told you, God's people, the word was getting out about God's people. And the enemy was more scared than they realized. Your enemy's more scared of you than you are realized. He's heard about you. He's heard about your God. He's heard about that faith church called Church on the Rock. Come on now, somebody. He's heard about what can be done through faith, and faith is the victory that overcomes. And notice, after this... This battle that was won, once again, the Lord was with Joshua and his reputation spread throughout the whole land. So Joshua and Jericho, Joshua and Jericho, I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Jericho. Uh, Jericho is one of the most familiar uh, stories that are in the Bible that people are taught, especially as kids. And any good church kids in here know that VeggieTales is one of the best uh, accounts of this story, Joshua and the Big Wall. Can I get amen? Amen. Joshua in the big wall. One of the best accounts. And I actually watched it last night for sermon prep in my office. (laughs) Because it just blessed my spirit. And those songs are anointed of the Lord in that song. It's a promised land. It's got to be so. Anybody know those songs? Those are good songs. So anyways, if you watch Joshua in the big wall, uh, they're walking around. And they don't have ram's horns. They have tubas. (laughs) They're blowing a tuba around there. But... They show Jericho is a walled city, and so they can't get in. They can't penetrate this city. 
It's a walled city. And in Joshua, in the big wall, there is French peas on the roof of Joshua in the big wall. And when they're walking around the wall to discourage them, they throw slushies on them to get them to stop walking around the wall. But in reality, wouldn't that be pretty fun if somebody was throwing slushies at you from a big wall? That would be pretty yummy. That wouldn't be a deterrent. That would be awesome. It would be like, hey, let's all go back to Jericho. They're going to throw slushies at you. So these French peas are on the, the wall of Jericho. They're throwing slushies on God's people to get them to stop. Now, I had this song in my mind, and it just completely blinked out of my mind. Um, Hold on. Come on. That's it. Okay. Thank you. Okay, so they sing these songs. French peas sing these songs. This is not biblical, but this is, uh, it helps you understand it. So they're French peas on the wall throwing slushies. Yeah. So keep walking. Hello. Come on, don't act like you've never seen VeggieTales. Isn't going to fall. It's plain to see. Your brains are very small, so keep walking, and you won't knock down our wall. Okay, so you guys are acting all proper and stuff, like you never heard that song before. And so these French peas are, are throwing slushies down, and they're, they're taunting God's people by singing this song. They say, your brains are very small. You're not going to knock, knock down this wall. But God ends up giving them the victory. Uh, so let me tell you the real version of it. That's the VeggieTales version, the real version of that. Uh, God's people were walking around uh, Jericho for six days, and on the seventh day, God commanded them on what to do. You're going to walk around seven times, and you're going to blow the ram's horn, and when you do that, you're going to shout. But for six days, you're not going to say anything. You're just going to walk in faith. You're going to walk in faith when you don't see it. You're going to walk in faith when no bricks are falling off the wall for the first six days. Hello, somebody. You're going to walk in faith when you don't feel like it. You're going to walk in faith when you look ridiculous to other people that don't understand what God told you. You're going to walk in faith, and on the seventh day, this is what's going to happen. Notice he gave him specific instructions on what to do. And he did it, and what happened, he was had great success and he prospered in everything God told him to do because he listened to his instructions from God. He honored the presence of God, but he took steps of faith. Let me tell you something about Jericho. Jericho, um, uh, many archaeologists have uh, dug up where Jericho is uh, over there, and they said that Jericho was probably eight acres. That's how big it was. Eight square acres of land was probably Jericho. You realize the size of cities and towns weren't as big as they were today. But for that time, that was a big city. And so this walled city, Jericho, was about eight acres. They said it wasn't super big, but the walls were really high. Now, even though it wasn't maybe huge in uh, uh, square feet or in uh, acreage, the thing is the walls were so high it was intimidating because they couldn't see over the wall who was in there? Do you got weapons in there? Do you have giants in there? Who is in there? Because if the walls are big enough, you can't see. That's just intimidating. And isn't it like the enemy to get your perspective off? Because even though he's not that big, if he has a high wall, he can get you to think he's bigger than he really is. He can intimidate you into thinking and get your perspective off to think that things are bigger than they actually are. How many ever been through a situation and when you get on the other side, you go, that was not a big deal. 
But when you were in it, it was the biggest situation that you've ever had in your life and you can't get past it and your life is over. But when you're on the other side of it, you're like, that's not even that big. Isn't that what the enemy does? He amplifies and magnifies the problem to look bigger than it is. Once again, because he's scared. In Jericho, even though it wasn't super big, it was eight acres in property, the walls were high so they couldn't see. They couldn't see. The enemy tries to put stuff in our life like that so we can't see a way out. We can't see a way of escape. We can't see what God wants to do. We can't see past our problems. Why? Because it's not really that big, but the walls are high. And that's what the enemy does to you and I. It's a Jericho situation. And when we look at our problem after the fact, we realize that wasn't that big. But the walls were high, so we couldn't see our way out. We couldn't see past our problem. It says in the New Testament that our momentary light affliction compared to eternity. He's saying the things we're going through now compared to eternity are not going to be a big deal in the future. On earth, they seem like they're huge. But compared to eternity with God, we can look back at our life and say, oh my gosh, why did I cry about that? Why did I get upset about that? Why did I just, my, my, I was laying in the floor for weeks at a time over this, compared to eternity. But notice, you can only think that way if you see it, not from your perspective, because you can't see over the walls, but from God's perspective. Because God sees from above, and you don't. That's why he says, my ways are higher than your ways. My thoughts are higher than your thoughts. And God sees from above, so he sees your situation from up here. And you see it from right here. That's why you think it's so big. In the same way, when they were going into the promised land, and they said, there's giants in there. And they see us like grasshoppers. But Joshua and Caleb came back and said, no, we are well able to do it. Now, how could they say that and other people say that? Because the people that weren't in faith were looking from this perspective. But Joshua and Caleb were looking from God's perspective. And from God's perspective, they're not that big. Giants aren't that big compared to God from his perspective. And they realized, you know, if God's with us, we can do it. We can overcome. So Joshua had, uh, Joshua and Caleb, they, they got to go into the promised land and the other Uh, people that didn't believe didn't but we see Jericho was not very big but the walls were high got their perspective off there's significance in names and numbers in the bible now we live in the western world which there's a there's not much significance in names and numbers we throw around names and numbers very flippantly people make up the weirdest, most bizarre baby names you've ever heard of that have no meaning. In the Old Testament and the New Testament, in, in those times, and still over in the Eastern world or Eastern culture, names and numbers have significance. They don't just name a baby, a town, a family, randomly. They don't just flip through a book and say, all right, let's name it that. They pray about it, they think about it, because they realize when you put a name on it, there's some meaning, and and it has to do with what they're called to do in their future. But the same thing with numbers. In Bible times, they're very significant, they all mean something. 
Now, I realize our Western brain doesn't fully comprehend this because names and numbers don't mean much to us today. But there's significance and there's meaning in numbers. So we see that there is a number that keeps coming up in Jericho. Seven. Seven's the number. Seven is significant in the Bible. Seven is the number of completion or perfection. Seven is a number that's used all throughout the Bible and it has great significance. It means completion or perfection. Seven is the number of God. We see that in our Bible that there are seven main feasts that God's people celebrated. There are seven major promises to Abraham. Seven is the day of Sabbath, the day that God rested, seven. We see the year of Jubilee is seven times seven, 49. Seven is the number of God. Seven is the number of completion or perfection. Are you here today? I'm not, I'm not trying to pull a John Hagee on you, but i got to go there. Seven is the number of God. It's the number of perfection. It's the number of completion. It is the number that says God is able to finish what he started. The number seven. That's why he said, I want you to walk around it seven times for seven days. And at the end of that, I want you to shout. I want them to blow the trumpet horn. I want you to shout because this belongs to you. And God will come in because it's the number of God. And he will drop those walls. Your sound system didn't drop those walls. Your horn playing didn't drop those walls. It might have hurt the people's ears that were living in Jericho, but it wasn't power enough, powerful enough to drop the walls of stone walls. But So seven is the number of completion, perfection. It's the number of God, and it is the number that God is able to finish what he started. So they walked around seven times for seven days, and then God gave them the victory. Are you here today still? But we see that six is the number of man. The number of man's ability. That's why the walls didn't fall on day six. Because man couldn't do it. But God could do it. So they fell on day seven. Now not to get too much into revelation. That's why the Antichrist, is, their number is 666. Because that's the, na- the, the number of mankind. Or man's ability. Or man trying to do it without God. But number seven is the number of completion, perfection. The number of God. So he didn't fall on day six. It falls on day seven. We see here that it talks about even the horns that they used when they were walking around Jericho. There's two different horns used in the Bible. There's a silver horn and there's a ram's horn. Now silver horn is to declare um, an important event or get people's attention. But a ram's horn, or, or some would call it a shofar. Some of you have heard that before. Um, I should have brought one in just to blow it for you. Get the shofar out here. But in the Old Testament, the shofar, the ram's horn, was for celebration. So when they're about to turn up a party, okay, they blow the, the shofar, and then they get going. That was the best way to get people's attention. So when they're about to celebrate, they blow the shofar, the ram's horn. And notice it says, I want you to use a ram's horn 
when you go around Jericho. And I want you to blow the ram's horn because that's a sign of celebration. That's a sign of God doing it. That's a sign that God is able to start what he's finished. And I want you to blow a ram's horn, not a silver horn, because that means that God's going to do it. But more specifically, the shofar is used for the year of Jubilee. Now, the year of Jubilee is this. Every 49 years, which is 7 times 7, every 49 years there's a law in Jewish culture that says when the year of Jubilee happens... That means all of your debts are canceled. But not only that, everything that belongs to you, come on, where you at, is restored back to you. So by blowing the ram's horn or the shofar was saying, this place, Jericho, already belongs to us. And God is giving it back to us and we're taking ground. So when they blew the, the ram's horn, It meant celebration and it meant year of jubilee, which is God is giving back what belongs to us. Why? Because the promised land was already theirs, already belonged to them. God had already said it was theirs, but somebody else was living in it. And God said, it's time for it to go back to you. Are you getting some help this morning? So the ram's horn meant it's time to restore what belongs to you. That God's going to complete what he started in your life. So we see they went around seven days. And then on the seventh day they went around seven times. They blew the ram's horn in a sign of celebration, in a sign of jubilee. And he told them to shout. And then the walls came down. I was thinking about this story. And... You know, God said to take steps of faith before they saw anything happen. They walked around that wall for six days. Nothing happened. They were probably getting made fun of. They were probably having slushies thrown at their face. For all that time, not a brick moved out of the wall for six days. You could say, God, just one brick a day. Just to let us know that you're doing something. Nothing. For six days. And then on the Sabbath day, God did what he said he would do. So I was thinking about this. Are we willing to follow God when we don't understand? Are we willing to follow God when we don't see results? Because God doesn't have a, a victory or a breakthrough every day. But he does say it will come. The Bible says in Hebrews, faith and patience we inherit the promises of God. Meaning sometimes we're believing God for something and we don't see it tomorrow. And we don't see it next week. And we don't see it the week after that. But what do we do? Faith and patience we inherit the promises. So that means what do we do every day? Walk around one more time. Walk around one more time. Walk around one more time. Because we realize one of these days it's going to be seven. But the thing is, on our side, we don't know which day is seven. (laughs) That's why it requires faith. Because if he told us what day was seven, we wouldn't have any faith. If he told us to do something that made sense, it would require no faith. 
That's why he tells us to do something that sometimes we don't understand and we don't feel and we don't see a result. So when he does it, he's the only one who can get the credit for it. And God, what does he want? He wants our faith. To do something when you don't feel like it. To do something when you don't understand it. To do something. And for six days, they were like that. Six days. Are you guys still here with me today? For six days, they were doing this. They didn't see any results. You know, when I say this, I'm not, I'm not saying any condemna- condemnation to anybody. But let me, let me share something with you. Sometimes especially when we're going through something hard, it takes our shout. It takes our praise. And, and like you've heard before, it's easy to shout when the walls are already down. But we don't realize the walls will never fall until we praise first. And a lot of times when we get bad reports, I can see you guys when you come into church. It's on your face. I know there's been times in my life that I'm not feeling good, whether that's physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, other ways, and I could come to church and just stand during praise and worship and not shout and not sing, and that's exactly what the enemy wants me to do. Because if there's no praise, there's no walls coming down. It's easy when we just got a bonus from work to say, glory to God, let me take a lap in here, praise God. When you just got a good bill of health, everybody's like, oh my gosh, I'm so Pentecostal today. But then the rest of the year, how is your praise life? Non-existent. So can we shout before the walls fall down? Can we praise God when we don't feel it? Can we praise God when we don't see it? Can we praise God when there's no bricks falling off the wall? Can we praise God when we're just, it's just another week and we're just reading our Bible again and we're just praying again and we're just worshiping again and I'm just coming to church again? Can we praise before that happens? Because I know I haven't always been able to do that. So I'm not talking condemnation to you. I'm talking about myself. I remember a time in my life I was having panic attacks. I remember Pastor Cody was preaching a message. And I remember that it was one of those services. He was preaching such a great message. Everybody in here was acting like they were dead completely. It's like, I don't know what he's talking about. I'm like, come on, people. I was on the platform at that time doing praise and worship. I felt so out of my mind because I was having constant panic and anxiety attacks. I was feeling so weird, so fearful, so anxious. I could barely even be on stage to play music. I felt like I was going to pass out. Now, if you've never been through that, you don't know what I'm talking about. But some of you have been through that, so you do know what I'm talking about. And I realized I was starting to get real inward. Don't, don't, don't shout me down. Come on now. you got to help me through this. I was getting real inward focused and real kind of my head was down. And, and real, like I wasn't talking to people anymore, and I wasn't praising God anymore. I was, and I was acting just weird. Because when you're like that, what does the enemy want to do? He wants to isolate you away from everybody and everything that can help you, whether that's people and God. And so I was getting real inward focused. And I remember he said something about praising God, and everybody was like, I don't know what he's talking about. I was like, come on, church family. It was just one of those services that you need to coffee. 
And I was like, come on, we got a guest. Let's act like we know something here, people. Come on. <laughs> Have you ever thought that before? You're like, come on, we got a guest, church. Come on, let's put on something just for him. Be dead next Sunday, but come on, at least this Sunday do something. So, I remember, now you remember who Sean Pearson was? Now, he wasn't likely to dance and take a lap. But he took off and took a lap this direction. And as soon as he did, I was sitting on the platform and God said, you need to take a lap. It's like, that was the last thing in the world I would ever want to do right now is to take a lap. And he said, you need to take a lap. And I felt it strongly in my heart that God was saying, until you do that, you won't be free. Until you praise me, those walls are just going to stay up. Until you get out of your inward focus and it's about me and I'm feeling sorry for myself and I'm feeling weird right now and I'm feeling anxious at church and I'm having a panic attack, somebody feel bad for me. And I did. God was saying, you need to get out of yourself for a second here and praise me because until you shout, the walls don't come down. Until you step out in faith, the walls don't come down. Until you walk around, the walls don't come down. Until you blow a ram's horn, the walls don't come down. Until you shout, the walls do not come down. We want to shout after the fact. Don't we? We all do. Praise God, I got my breakthrough. And when you say that, yeah, but you haven't been praising all year. So is that really a testimony? The testimony is when somebody like my brother-in-law, Jacob Boger, has a chemo bag hanging on him, and he's up in the front praising and dancing before God. And then the people who are well-abled are sitting on their blessed assurance, acting like the, the praise and worship doesn't affect them and God never did anything for their life. Come on now, somebody. <laughs> that is somebody who's really in faith and believes God. And he had every reason to say, I don't feel like it. But what was he doing? He was stepping out in faith and he was saying, okay, one more time. (laughs) I'm going to go walk around this one more time. I'm going to shout one more time. I'm going to blow the ram's horn one more time because praise precedes the victory. Steps of faith precede the victory. What did they do for seven days before the walls came down? They weren't just sitting in their tents saying, I believe you, God. Nothing would have happened. They weren't sitting in their tent saying, I've got, I believe you, I'm going to confess it. Jericho is coming down. And God would say, Jericho ain't coming down till you get out of your tent and start doing something. Till you take steps of faith and start walking, start praising, start shouting, start doing what I've called you to do. And they did it for seven days. Are you here? Brother Darrell, could you come up here and play for a moment? We're going to close here. You guys get something today. So we don't realize that every step we take is a step closer to seven. I recently saw this picture, and some of you guys have probably seen it. 
there's this guy, and he's digging for, like, gold. And it shows him he's just been digging and digging and digging. And there's just this little wall between him and the gold or the diamonds. And he has his, his axe that he was digging with, and he's sitting down, and he has his head down like he's given up. And he's this close. He's this close. This close. But he doesn't see it. Because he doesn't know what day it is for him. He doesn't know what day that God's going to do that for him. And he's this close. If he would have just hit it, the wall a couple more times, he would have got into where the gold and the diamonds were. Some of you maybe seen that picture before. It's been on social media before. I want to say a couple things here. How many people give up on six? How many people give up on six when they don't even realize it? I would say probably the most discouraging day would be day six. And they don't even realize that they're one day away from the walls coming down. They're one day away from God doing something in their life. And they don't realize it. How many people gave up on church on day six? No, I'm just tired of coming to church. It's just not, I, I just don't see the results. You're on day six. You're going to give up on day six? You got one more day. How many people give up on relationships on day six? How many people give up on their calling on day six? How many people give up on their dreams on day six? Come on now, I feel this today. How many people give up on their healing on day six? Come on now. I know some of you are believing for healing right now. You're on day six. Don't give up. Ms. Gedney, Ms. Blaylock, don't give up. You don't know what day it is. God does. But God says you keep going. And when I tell you, you're going to shout. And then when you do that, the walls will come down. I just want to ask you that question today because hopefully that will stir up your faith. How many of you right now are on day six? And you don't realize you're just like that picture. There's a little tiny wall between you. You've been digging all this time and you're so close and you give up right here. Man, the enemy loves that. He'll get you the most discouraged on day six. He gets you the most frustrated on day six. How many of us give up on six when God says, on the seventh day, I'm going to do this for you? Why? Because six is the number of your ability. That's why you can't stop on six. Because you can't do it by yourself. And you can't overcome by yourself. And you can't bring the walls of Jericho down by yourself. Am I helping anybody this morning? Because six is the number of man's ability, but seven is the number of God. The number of perfection. The number that says, I will finish what I started. The Bible says something like, he who began a good work in you will complete it. He is well able to do what he said he would do. How many people stop on six and don't even realize it? I want to say one last thing and we're going to give you a time to worship because I can't preach a message like this and we say amen and you just leave that wouldn't work so we're going to have a time to worship in a second here
And I know some of you can shout because your life's great right now, but a lot of you can shout because you know what God's going to do in the future. And notice the walls will not come down until you do something first. The walls will not come down in your life until you start walking first. The walls will not come down until you raise your voice first and shout. And God said, when you shout what God flattened Jericho, the whole thing came straight down. And God's people were able to overcome and and take everything they needed. And they overcame Jericho that day. I want to say this lastly. Walk every lap like it's seven. And one of these days you'll be right. Come on now, somebody. Walk every lap like it's seven. And one of these days you'll be right. Come on, did you get something this morning? Let's stand up for a moment. Can I get the praise team to come up here? Walk every lap like it's seven, because one of these days you'll be right. I appreciate you guys coming today. Hey, we're going to sing a song that you guys know. It's a song full of faith. It's probably the most fitting song to sing about God doing it again. So come on, we 